Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Good to have each of you here. Welcome to uh, many guests and family. It's been a good couple of school years for Pastor Ryan and I as we've gotten to spend time with uh, 11 young folks that are part of our congregation. And I've had the privileges last year then of, of teaching this class uh, and, and also meeting with each of them personally um, in, in the last couple of weeks to talk about this step that they're now taking and, and uh, particularly about knowing for sure of a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Um, many of you are aware, maybe some of you aren't, though, um, what some of uh, that uh, work involves during the year. Um, they've had to memorize 32 different assignments uh, during the course of the year, um, take 20 sermon notes, and uh, learn the books of the Bible in order, write a paper on, on one of those books, and, and then, more importantly, write out their personal testimony, which they've shared today. And thank you much for what, for what you've shared. It gives us a glimpse into each of your lives and God at work there. I, I believe that there's tremendous potential in these young people as they live their lives for the Lord. Uh, I go so far as to say to you five here today that you all have tremendous open, or potential to be a part of, of helping to save the world from looming disaster. Uh, I'm sure that most folks here today have noticed that in the news these days, in the last couple of years particularly, it seems like they're continually suggesting that we are on the brink uh, of a worldwide disaster of one kind or another. Uh, top four news getters in my estimation, besides uh, one that's been just out there all the time lately with this defamation trial of a famous couple, the other four that I think of though is climate change. Um, which several in leadership of our land are, are calling the existential threat of our time. There's the uh, COVID pandemic, this airborne virus that uh, for much of two years has impacted uh, every corner of the world and has been connected with thousands of deaths. And then there's Vladimir Putin and Russian aggression. With his invasion of the nation of Ukraine, uh, it's resulted in massive destruction of, of whole cities in that country and displacement of what, three to four million refugees, and it leaves hanging this threatening possibility of there even being nuclear war. And then there is inflation and, and potential economic disaster, and we certainly are seeing uh, runaway inflation in our land these days, uh, about highest in 40 years, and also supply chain shortages that certainly could uh, become significantly worse. And, and so with sobering issues constantly in front of us like that, how is it that I can say that these young folks have potential to be part of saving the world from looming disaster? I believe it is because they have what the world really needs more than anything else. They understand, at least in part, the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to invite you to look with me at a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today, verses 18 through 25, as we consider the cross of Christ and invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as I read. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 18. 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look or search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word that reminds us of the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we meditate on these verses, you would apply them to each of our hearts and our minds, and we would understand your perspective on the world and how it needs to be saved. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> There are uh, two common human perspectives on how to save the world from disaster. One of them is to use power and control, and the other is education and persuasive speech. Some think, for instance, then, that, that if we just educate everyone about climate change, they will all cooperate in reducing greenhouse gases and we can save the planet from that coming disaster. And if we just educate them about this virus, Everyone will get vaccinated, they'll all get, be rid of the virus. And if we just get Putin and Zelensky to talk with each other, it'll stop this war. And I'm not sure that anyone thinks that inflation will go away with education, but certainly persuasive speech can switch the blame on that one. The other common perspective on solving those looming disasters is to step in with power and control. Have the government force everyone to change their habits and fuel sources force everyone to get vaccinated, have the government step in and try to control the economy. However, I'm not sure that anyone is convinced it's a good idea to try force when it comes to Putin and send our troops over there to try to stop him. Uh, of course, the problem with trying to solve all of those looming threats with education is that people have to trust those so-called experts who, who claim superior knowledge in each area. And the problem with trying to solve those looming threats um, with power is that people have to trust and cooperate with those pos in position of power or else those that have that power have to use even more power to try to take and, and control it. And, and that, that trust in those is hard to come by. Because you see there is another threat that, that is more severe than any of those previously mentioned and that is the reality of the sinful human condition of all human hearts, including those in leadership and those they attempt to lead. And I need to say at this point then, that there is one drastic oversight in all of those areas of suggested looming disaster. And that is the assumption that mankind can and must somehow save the world himself. Because there is no sovereign God in, over it all. But you see, if you deny the existence of the divine, then that is what we come to the conclusion of, that mankind must solve it themselves. The text that we look at today brings God into the picture and, and it gets us to think. 
If God was to reveal himself and save the world, how would he do it? <coughs> Excuse me. The Apostle Paul here presents two perspectives connected to the culture of his day. And you will see significant overlap here with the common human perspectives that I've already shared with you today. One of those perspectives in his day then was the Jewish perspective, that God could, could make his power known and, and save the world by then showing that power as he had done many times in the past for the Hebrew people. You, you see, the Jews knew that because they had the Bible. That is, that they, they had God's Old Testament, the recorded word there from him, um, where, where God then revealed his power countless times in history um, in extraordinary ways. For instance, in creating the world, and in sending the worldwide flood, and in rescuing the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt, and in parting the Red Sea, and conquering Jericho on the other cities, and then expanding David's kingdom from the Mediterranean Sea to the Euphrates River. And so in Paul's day, then, the Jews looked for more of the same, a savior for the world who would come with God's power again and throw off the bonds of Roman occupying forces and restore the nation of Israel to her former glory. That would truly be a powerful sign from heaven, they thought. However, God had a different plan <clears throat> to save the world. And that would focus not on human political restoration, but on restoring human hearts to a relationship with their creator. The, uh, <clears throat> the Greek's perspective on, on saving the world from looming disaster involved an endless, elusive search for wisdom. The Greeks didn't have the Bible. They, they didn't believe in a God who had revealed himself to mankind in the written word. And so they operated from a perspective of not knowing where we came from or, or what our purpose in life was, and so they had to guess. And that's really what philosophy is. It's guessing as to the meaning of life. The Greeks believed that by observation and study and analyzing mankind and the world around them, they, they could learn more and more wisdom that would lead them closer and closer to an understanding then of the meaning of life. <clears throat> so like... So life for the Greeks then was this elusive search for wisdom, which was always just a little bit out of reach. And isn't that similar to the perspective of many around us today who are convinced that just a little more education might solve all of the world's problems? The Greeks of Paul's day then failed to see that the real problem is not lack of complete information, but it's lack of will to listen to and, and obey the information that we've been given by our Creator God. And thus they too then missed the real solution that God sent in His Son. <clears throat> God's way to save the world and bring people back to Him was not by human power or human wisdom. God's surprising way was the cross. God's surprising way comes in the form then of a message preached a message about a historical person named Jesus Christ. And that is the message that I proclaim to you today and that each of our confirmants have said that they have come to believe personally. <clears throat> this message recognizes three things that I want to propose today. First of all this, that Jesus Christ it was an undeniable real person in human history. Otto Ben says this, no serious scholar has ventured to postulate the non-historicity of Jesus. 
F.F. Bruce says it this way, the historicity of Jesus is as axiomatic for an unbiased historian as the historicity of Julius Caesar. <clears throat> Dr. Steve Kumar says it this way, whatever assumptions we might entertain about Christ, we cannot dismiss him from the facts of history. We may ignore him, but we cannot avoid him. We may reject him, but we cannot escape him. His name is written across every page of modern history. Every time we write a letter and date it, we acknowledge his entrance into our planet. He is a stubborn fact of history. And so, not only must a person admit then that Jesus Christ did exist in human history, but secondly, they also need to then reckon with the record of his death on a Roman cross. And I propose that Jesus' death on the cross was either a tragic end or it was part of God's sovereign plan. Either Jesus tragically died at the hands of Jewish religious leaders and that was the end of his life and one would think then also the end of his influence on humanity or Jesus willingly allowed them to put him on that cross and he actually even predicted such a death because he was sent by God to earth for that very purpose. According to the Gospel of John, that is what Jesus claimed. John chapter 3 tells us, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. Well, if you do believe that Jesus was the Son of God, sent from heaven to die on the cross for sinners, then you also have no problem believing that he did not stay dead. But he rose from the dead that first Easter morning. And, and that brings us to the third thing about him I want to propose today, and that is that Jesus' bodily resurrection either was a great hoax, or it was an amazing miracle of God. And, and the hoax concept really doesn't stand up to historical scrutiny. Dr. Steve Kumar again says this, that the critics of Christianity are fighting a losing battle. Christianity cannot be refuted simply for one reason. We cannot explain away the resurrection. It is this fact which brought life and courage to disappointed and disillusioned disciples. And it is because of this event that Christianity spread across the Roman Empire and continues to influence our present world. And so, with the evidence concerning Jesus' life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the grave so strong, then why is it that there are many around us who do not believe and follow him with their lives? Our text reminds us of this. The cross looks weak to so many. It's a stumbling block. <clears throat> many trip over the message of the cross. It seems to them that, that only a weak and helpless one could end up dying that way. It goes against the Jewish and even the Muslim perspective. They are not willing to believe the Almighty God will allow his prophet or his son to experience such a disgraceful and gory death. And so instead they try to deny that it actually happened. The cross just looks too weak for them to accept. The message of the cross also sounds foolish to many. Verse 18 tells us, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And that word foolishness, it's the same as the word nonsense. Now nonsense is, is like a person that is talking baby talk. 
It, it makes no sense to the listener. Uh, so people just kind of smile and nod their head, though they don't really know what the little kid is talking about. Well, some people hear the message about Jesus on the cross, and, and they just don't understand it. It's like a foreign language to them. Much of the world is like that today. And, and so more and more than the, the media, for instance, portrays preachers as kind of crazy, and, and Christians as superstitious or radical extremists, and, and the church as irrelevant or even dangerous. Conference, you need to understand today that, that if you follow Jesus, you will be considered foolish sometimes by classmates at school and others wherever you go. God's word says that it will be that way, but recognize what else it says here about those who consider it foolishness. It says that they are perishing. They, they are lost. They are ruined. They are heading for eternal judgment. But remember John 3.16 told us that God's offer to all of them is still this, Whosoever believes in him, in his son Jesus Christ, that is, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. <clears throat> and so to those that are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Us who are being saved. The wording there, being saved, indicates a force outside of ourselves acting on our behalf to save us. And that is truly the human situation. We humans are actually unable to save the world from any looming disaster. Whether that be climate change or a pandemic or world war or economic crisis, we are unable to save humanity from those or from eternal judgment. Only God could accomplish that, and he did that with the death of his son on the cross. And that's why... Paul Little says it this way. He says, other religious systems are really like sets of swimming instructions for a drowning man. But Christianity is like a life preserver. The message of the cross is powerful. It's like dynamite. It's explosive. It radically changes things. It says that God stepped into human history to save mankind through his sacrificial love. The Apostle Paul told us in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You see, the cross is the only way that deals with the root causes of all the other possible looming disasters. Every problem that mankind currently encounters on this earth can be traced back to the fact that each and every human is born with this sin problem, a heart that rebels against our Creator and His plans for our lives. And this has been true ever since our first parents rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And this fall into sin then brought a curse upon all of creation and has led to relational conflicts and wars and sickness and death. And one of our hopes then for these two years of confirmation instruction here that we offer at Maranatha <clears throat> is that students would come to see their own personal sinfulness. See it not just as some bad things that I sometimes do, but as a rebellious condition that is in each of our human hearts. A heart condition that needs to be admitted individually in order for each of us then to allow God to save us. And when we see our own sinfulness, then we look to the cross. And we see God's amazing love and his mercy. Because there on the cross, his son bore on himself the wrath of God for the sins that, that we have committed. 
and we stand forgiven. The cross is God's way then of changing human hearts. And as human hearts are changed, then the world is impacted. As sinners find God's amazing forgiveness, they can't help but spread the good news. And, and that is how then five young people, along with the rest of us here today, have the potential to be part of helping to save the world from looming disaster by pointing others to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a contemporary Christian song called It's About the Cross. First verse of it goes like this. It's not just about the manger where the baby lay. It's not all about the angels who sing for, sang for him that day. It's not all about the shepherds or the bright and shining star. It's not all about the wise men who traveled from afar. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that I could be born again. It's about the stone that was rolled away so that you and I could have real life someday. It's about the cross. The last couple of verses of our text tell us this. To those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ and the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So I ask you today, has the cross of Jesus Christ changed your heart? Has it saved you? And, and, and will you be part then of helping to save the world by pointing others to Jesus and the cross? Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that your word reveals to us the cross. From way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve fell into sin and the curse came upon this world, you have promised a way that there would be forgiveness of sin, that, that there would be a sin bearer that would take our place. And we thank you that throughout the scriptures then you pointed ahead to that and in the New Testament you give us the gospels that reveal Jesus and, and his life and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And the rest of the scripture points back to that. Lord, I pray that each one here would deal with those historical facts and with that real living person, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he was willing to go to the cross for us. Thank you that because of that we can know forgiveness of all of our sin and eternal life. Um, we rest in those promises of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.